I'm Dr. David Epstein, a board-certified pediatrician with subspecialty board certification in pediatric critical care medicine. I am a clinician and an educator in pediatric intensive care and pediatric urgent care. And you're listening to Epstein's Pearls, a pediatric podcast for parents and those who care for kids. It is a show designed to explore children's health issues with educational presentations about acute pediatric care, learn from interviews with other healthcare professionals who serve the pediatric population, and obtain perspectives and opinions on healthcare from those who work in the field of pediatrics. This podcast is for all parents and those who care for kids who wish to better understand acute illnesses and injuries in infants, children, and adolescents, and gain a better general understanding of the field of pediatrics to improve their children's health care and empower them to advocate for their children's health. Well, welcome to today's podcast, and today we're going to talk about dehydration in kids, and we are going to discuss why children are more vulnerable to dehydration, define dehydration and how to recognize it, identify some of the causes of dehydration and what its consequences can be, how to treat dehydration, and when to call your doctor. Well, the first question we have is why are children more vulnerable to dehydration? Well, first off, they have a higher frequency of gastroenteritis than adults do, gastroenteritis being defined as vomiting and diarrhea. And uh, this exacerbates fluid losses in children. And children also have a higher surface area to volume ratio with proportionately higher insensible losses that are accentuated by disease states. So they have more surface area and these insensible losses are such things as losing fluid through their skin or breathing, those kind of things, which you don't really account for. So they're called insensible losses. And then also children are unable to communicate their needs oftentimes for fluid and can't independently access fluids to replenish their losses. And this is especially true in the younger children or infants. And so they are at higher risk of getting dehydrated. Well, what is dehydration? Well, dehydration is a reduction in the water content of the body and the percentage of water in the body for an infant is much higher than it is for an adult. And we are mostly made of water, as you probably know, but in infants, 70% of their body weight is accounted for by water, 65% in children and 60% in adults. So as you get older, the percentage of body weight from water is relatively less. Now, how do you recognize dehydration, especially in kids? Well, there are a number of ways. First off, we look for a capillary refill, which is when you press on the finger or the toe and you see the redness of the skin turn pale. And then as you let go, it turns red again. Well, that's the capillary blood flow. You're evacuating the capillaries of blood. And then when you release the pressure on the digit, the blood flow goes back through the capillaries and refills. And so that's called capillary refill. And so when you're more volume depleted or dehydrated, then the capillary refill will be longer than normal. So greater than two seconds is considered more abnormal and it should be brisk. It should be two seconds or less. And that would be normal capillary refill. Now, the other thing you want to look for is dry mucous membranes, and we're mostly referring to the mouth and lips. 
So if the inside of the mouth or lips are more dry than normal, that's a sign of dehydration or fluid loss. Also, when there are no tears with crying, uh, infants and young children will often cry on exam. And when we see that they don't have any tears, that makes us a little bit concerned because they could be uh, more dehydrated than we expect. Also, if a child is more ill-appearing, they're more tired or listless, that can be a sign of dehydration as well in uh, context of things like vomiting or diarrhea or other volume losses. Also, there can be decreased urine output or in infants, we measure diapers, so number of diapers. So when somebody drinks adequately, they make adequate or normal urine. If they drink more, they pee more. Uh, with young children, we ask if the urine output or the number of times they're going to the bathroom is the same. With infants, we measure the wet diapers. So normally we'll ask parents, how many normal wet diapers do they have? Or how many, what's the normal number of wet diapers that your child or infant has uh, per day? And they'll say eight to 10. And so what are they having now? And if they say, you know, three to four, then we know that there's significant drop in the urine output. Also, we'll ask them about how heavy the diapers are because they may pee the same number of times, uh, but the volume may be less and they may be lighter than normal diapers. So those are some things to look out for as far as the urine output. Also, there can be sunken eyes. So the orbits of the eyes, when you become dehydrated, they become a little bit more sunken. And then the next sign is a fast heart rate. Now the fast heart rate happens because the body tries to compensate and so the heart starts to beat faster when there is a loss of fluid in the body or volume or dehydration. Also the pulses, like if you feel the wrist, your wrist, uh, you'll feel your heartbeat, uh, with a, that's the pulse. And usually it's fairly strong, but as you become dehydrated and there's less volume in your body, the pulse becomes diminished or decreased. And finally, there is the, the infant who has a fontanelle and a fontanelle is a soft spot on the top of the head. And usually that is flush or flat with the skull pieces on the head. Uh, that's where the, the skull hasn't fused yet. And so it's an open spot or the soft spot. And usually it's the same level as the bone on the skull. But if somebody's dehydrated, the fontanelle or soft spot will be sunken. And so there'll be a sign of dehydration. So the next step in identifying dehydration is actually defining how dehydrated the child is. And dehydration can be classified as mild, moderate, and severe. And it's based on symptoms, but it's also based on the loss of water from the body, which can translate into loss of body weight. And so what oftentimes will happen is we will obtain a child's or infant's or adolescent's normal body weight, and then we'll weigh them. And the difference in body weight will determine how severe the water loss is. And in mild dehydration, there's up to 5% in body water loss with moderate dehydration there's anywhere from five to ten percent 
in body water loss, which translates into a 5 to 10% decrease in body weight. And then severe dehydration is classified as greater than 10% in body water loss or greater than 10% in drop in body weight. Now, each of these categories can further be defined by their symptoms. And somebody who has mild dehydration will appear mostly normal with only a maybe normal to slightly decreased amount of urine output. So their mental status, heart rate, their quality of their pulses, capillary refill, blood pressure, breathing, their eyes, fontanel, everything will be normal. The fontanel in the infant, obviously, will be flat and normal appearing. Uh, but a child with mild dehydration or infant with mild dehydration, their urine output may be normal to slightly decreased. Now, when you move into the category of moderate dehydration, things change. The mental status, they may be listless and irritable. Their heart rate will be increased. The quality of the pulses will be normal to maybe slightly decrease in strength. The capillary refill will be a little bit prolonged, like more than two seconds. The blood pressure will be normal. The respiratory rate may be increased. The eyes will be slightly sunken and maybe there'll be some decreased tears. And if it's an infant, the fontanel may be slightly sunken. And notably, the urine output will be decreased. When you move into severe dehydration, you're looking at a mental status that is significantly altered. The child or infant or adolescent may be lethargic, non-responsive. The heart rate will be increased. The quality of the pulses will be decreased to thready, so it may not be easily felt. The capillary refill will be definitely prolonged. The blood pressure will be normal, but in severe cases, maybe starting to fall and having a decreased blood pressure, which is dangerous. And the respiratory rate will be faster and deeper, and the eyes will be significantly sunken. And when the young child or infant cries, there won't be any tears. And then the infant who has a fontanelle that's open, it will definitely be sunken. And then finally, measuring urine output, there may be little urine output or no urine output for that child or infant or adolescent. So those are the categories of severity of dehydration, mild, moderate, and severe. So now that we've identified what dehydration is and what to look for, we have to look at what causes dehydration. Causes of dehydration can be classified into decreased intake, increased output, or translocation of fluid. When you're talking about decreased intake of fluids, you can classify that as somebody who's physically restricted. They can't get the fluids in themselves like an infant who can't feed themselves or somebody with a brain injury or altered mental status. Also, anorexia can cause decreased intake, not only with food, but also liquids and uh, dehydration can be uh, the result. And then you can also have voluntary or imposed cessation of drinking where somebody who has a pharyngitis or inflammation of the throat or a stomatitis, an infection or inflammation of the mouth, respiratory distress where they 
are having trouble breathing. And so the last thing they're wanting to do is drink or in some cases, unfortunately, uh, child abuse. Now, the other category, increased output, can be secondary to insensible losses where, like, like I mentioned before, loss of water from the skin or through breathing, or if there's increased renal losses, like somebody's peeing a lot more, or gastrointestinal losses, like as we talked about with vomiting and diarrhea. When you talk about insensible losses, you're talking about things like fever or sweating, heat exhaustion, high ambient temperature, low humidity, things which draw out fluid from the skin, hyperventilation, you're losing water, moisture through breathing faster, um, and also diseases like cystic fibrosis or thyrotoxicosis, like an elevated uh, thyroid level. Renal losses can include somebody who has kidney disease and can't regulate their urine output um, and they pee too much, or are there certain medications like diuretics, which actually make somebody pee if they are taking too much, they can uh, pee too much and then get dehydrated. And then finally, something like diabetic ketoacidosis or somebody who's presenting with diabetes and they have a tendency to urinate a lot and they get dehydrated from uh, urination because the diabetes that's untreated. And then finally, gastrointestinal losses, as I mentioned before, diarrhea and vomiting can easily cause uh, dehydration, uh, especially in young children and infants. And then the third category, translocation of fluids, has to do with third spacing, as they call it, or, or mobilization of fluids into the tissues. So it's not in the intravascular space. And so you have things like major burns or the abdomen filling up with fluid, which is called ascites. Or if there's a surgery where there's damaged tissues, then there can be swelling into the tissues and this pulls fluid away from the intravascular space, causing relative dehydration. So those are the main causes of dehydration or the categories, decreased intake, increased output and translocation of fluids. When we talk about infectious causes in kids, we talk about stomatitis and pharyngitis, which as I mentioned, those are inflammations of the mouth and the throat respectively, and it makes a child not want to eat or drink. And while they may be thirsty, the pain caused by those things can cause them not to eat or drink appropriately, and then they get dehydrated. Also, febrile illnesses where the fevers are high and the intake is not good. Children who have a fever, they don't necessarily want to eat or drink much. And with the fever too, that causes loss of insensible fluid through the skin because of the fever. And so then they get uh, you know, dehydrated that way. Also, diabetic ketoacidosis, along with gastroenteritis, you know, these illnesses, which I mentioned, are the most common causes of dehydration in kids. So stomatitis, pharyngitis, febrile illnesses, diabetic ketoacidosis, and gastroenteritis are the most common causes of dehydration in kids, just to emphasize that point, with gastroenteritis being the most common cause of dehydration in infants and children, and it is actually the leading cause of death worldwide in children younger than four years of age. And most causes of gastroenteritis are caused by viruses, which account for anywhere from 70 to 90% of cases. So up to this point, we've discussed what is dehydration, 
what causes dehydration. And we identified the varying levels of severity of dehydration. Now we're going to talk about the consequences of dehydration. Well, not every level of severity of dehydration results in the same endpoint unless it's untreated. And if it's untreated, then somebody develops severe dehydration. And it's really the severe dehydration which we are trying to avoid because the consequences of severe dehydration can result in what's called hypovolemic shock. And hypovolemic shock is basically a category of shock, meaning that there's not enough fluid in the body and there's not enough fluid in the intravascular space or in the blood vessels to cause adequate blood flow to the body. So there's a drop in blood flow in the body and there's not enough blood flow to the organs like the kidneys, the brain, the liver, etc. And this results in organ injury. And if enough organs are injured, this can result in death. So this is what we're trying to avoid. And so how do we avoid this? Well, we start early treatment. Treatment of dehydration should involve treating the underlying disease first. Dehydration is not a disease in and of itself, but rather a symptom of another process, such as diabetes. The dehydration occurs because of the diabetes or the abnormal glucose control. So you have to treat the underlying disease before you can fix the dehydration. Now, once you've managed the underlying disease, you need to treat the dehydration part. And you do that by hydrating. And there are two categories of hydration, oral hydration and IV or intravenous hydration. Oral hydration is used if a child is able to tolerate liquids by mouth. If your child is dehydrated from throwing up, give small sips of fluid every 10 minutes. And then as your child tolerates that, then you can use larger amounts more often if your child is not vomiting that. But usually early on in a illness where there is vomiting, a child will vomit larger oral fluid challenges. So keeping them to small amounts of fluid every 10 minutes or very frequently to provide that hydration. Oral hydration fluids include Pedialyte, which is most common because it has electrolytes in it, but liquid that is tolerated is acceptable. Sometimes popsicles, water, uh, juice. We like to dilute like apple juice, half water, half apple juice. Uh, but those are the kind of things that you want to do. Anything that the child will hold down is the most important oral hydration fluid that they can take. In some instances, an NG tube or a nasogastric tube can be placed to hydrate the child if they are not taking anything by mouth, but are not vomiting, but they are refusing to take like a bottle or anything by mouth. You can put an NG tube in and they can be given fluids that way. In the worst situations, intravenous fluids are required. So if a child is in shock or with severe dehydration, not able to tolerate liquids by mouth or not able to place an NG tube, then intravenous fluids are given. If a child has severe case of dehydration, they may not be able to keep up with the losses even by drinking. So if a child is having severe, severe diarrhea, they need to be able to keep up with those fluid losses. And sometimes children can't, they can't drink enough. So giving IV fluids will help prevent them from getting dehydrated because they will 
be able to keep up with the losses. So typically, if a child has more out than in, then uh, the IV fluids uh, may be beneficial if they're not able to take it orally. Another adjunct to treating children with vomiting and they're not able to take oral fluids is giving an anti-nausea medication like ondansetron. If it's just a viral gastroenteritis with vomiting, that's an ideal medication. If there's something more severe like a bowel obstruction or, or something more severe causing the vomiting, uh, that's not the medication you want to use. Uh, you have to treat the underlying disease first. But if somebody has a viral gastroenteritis, giving them an anti-nausea medication will be useful and prevent them from getting more severely dehydrated. So when should you call your doctor? You should call your doctor if your child has had any signs of dehydration that we discussed previously. If your child has increased vomiting or diarrhea, vomiting and not being able to take anything by mouth, especially liquids, or if the diarrhea is very severe, where your child can't keep up with the output of the diarrhea. So they can't take enough liquids in to match what they are putting out with the diarrhea. Also, if your child has not urinated or had any wet diapers within the preceding eight hours, that's cause for concern. And also, if your child is lethargic, meaning that they're not as interactive, they're sleeping more, less playful, and very fatigued, that's cause for concern if there is an underlying reason for dehydration. And then finally, if you're at all concerned about your child's condition and or you have questions about your child with regards to dehydration, you should call your doctor. So in summary, dehydration is a decrease in the water content of the body. It's caused by decreased intake, increased output, or translocation of fluids. And some major symptoms to identify include dry lips, dry mouth, no tears with crying, decreased urine output, which in infants could be identified as decreased number of wet diapers, fatigue, listlessness, and sunken eyes. Gastroenteritis is the most common cause of dehydration in kids, which is usually heralded by vomiting and diarrhea. And you treat dehydration with oral or IV rehydration fluids, depending on the severity of the dehydration and if the child is able to tolerate liquids by mouth. Most children do very well with early recognition of dehydration and respond well to treatment, but the longer dehydration lasts, the more severe it can become and the worse the outcome. So call your doctor if you're concerned or if you have any questions about dehydration. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of Epstein's Pearls. If you would be so kind, can you please leave me a review on any platform that you've listened to this podcast on? It will help me reach even more parents and those who care for kids, those who have not yet found this podcast and can get a lot of value from it. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast or want to leave ideas for future topics that you'd like me to cover, please post them in the comments. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for tuning in and be safe and be well.